So we're going to look uh, right now at a guy who uh, had to actually come to grips with the fact that God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing. Anybody ever watch Columbo, the show Columbo? For those of you who are too young uh, to watch Columbo, I hate you. Uh, but anyway, no. Columbo is this kind of dumpy guy. I think it takes place in the East Coast because he talks like this, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he's kind of dumpy, and, and he's always kind of trying to figure things out. And he acts really stupid, but really he's smarter than everybody. And he scratches his head, and he says, you know, there's some things I that are rolling around in my head, and I just don't understand them. And, you know, and the thing that Columbo always had in his, his kind of an interrogation process is he'd go through and he'd ask these questions, and he'd say, man, could you help me figure this out? You're very smart. I'm not that smart. I, I don't know. He's always talking about his dog and his wife. And then he says, oh, and one more thing. That's what he used to say. And that was the question that would really get the guy. You guys remember that? I've watched a lot of Columbo this week, okay? And um, I actually tried to get the impersonation down, but it's terrible. No, it's, no, no, no. Okay, I will. No. All right. So I want to introduce you to a guy who kind of had this Columbo experience with Jesus. Now, Jesus is a lot smarter than Columbo, obviously, and he probably wasn't as dumpy, but he, Columbo had a long trench coat and Jesus had a robe, so, you know, I don't know, are you... You do the math, right? But it's this guy called the, we call him the rich young ruler, okay? And let's go ahead and and, uh, read this. And uh, it's in Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to start in verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Sounds like a pretty good question to me. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Another great question. Uh, Love the disciples. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me uh, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So there's this guy, the rich young ruler we call him, If you put the Gospels together, this account is taking place in um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And as you add kind of all the facts together, we know the guy is young. 
We know He's rich. We know He's powerful. And we know that He is determined. Mark says He ran up to Jesus. He's got this burning in His heart. What do I do for eternal life? Which sounds like a great question. And what we're going to see this morning, what I want to look at is these four areas of where God might be calling you. There might be a burning in your heart to say, man, there's got to be more than what I'm experiencing now. Whether you've been a Christian for years and years and years, or you've just started thinking about, well, what's, what's God all about? What's, you know, which religion is the right religion? Or what, you know, I, I don't know. There, is, there, is there life after death? Wherever, wherever you are on the spectrum, I believe we can learn something from what Jesus says to this guy we call the rich young ruler who had everything according to this world, but was still lacking something. And so we're going to look at this progression of where this guy is coming from, and we're going to try and figure out where we are in this line and say, Jesus, what would you have me do? And then at the end of the service, we're going to take communion where we can make a statement to God and say, Lord, I'm going to do this next step. Over the coming months, uh, some things are going to change at at Living Spring. And one of the things is kind of how we take our offering and how we fill out our flaps. Uh, We have a new bulletin that's being printed right now. That's why you have the lame bulletins because we were in the process of designing the new ones. But each week, I'm going to be asking you to take a next step. Every single week, I'm going to ask you to take a next step. And uh, Pastor Carlos and I have been talking about this. We're very excited about what would our lives look like if every week we took one little step to grow draw closer to God. And maybe for some of you this morning, it's just to believe that there is a God. That's your next step, okay? So let's look at this story and kind of see if there's a place where we kind of match up and see what we can learn from Jesus. The first thing is the conversation. This guy comes up to Jesus. He runs up to Jesus, Mark says, and he starts up this conversation and he's got a great question. He says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? That sounds like a fantastic question, right? It's the question I'm always pushing out there all the time when I preach. What is separating you from God? What is stopping you from having a life in Christ that's to its fullest, the life that God designed for you? A life that puts aside sin and every encumbrance that so easily entangles us and has us run with endurance the race set before us. He asks that question. And Jesus says, essentially, I'm I'm kind of bringing it down to its bare minimum here. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. That sounds reasonable. They were there for a reason. And he asks, which ones? (laughs) Now, you got to love this guy because think of his culture Okay, he is in an environment where the Pharisees have taken not only the law, but they've added all this stuff on top of it, all these things. And this guy has probably heard that Jesus has been confronting the Pharisees. So in other words, we we knew before the Pharisees said, how come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus says, you're an idiot. Okay, well, essentially, okay. That's not what God cares about. He doesn't care about the outside. He cares about the inside. So this guy's probably going, man, he's going after the Pharisees. It sounds like he's got exactly what I need. Which, which commandments do I, do I follow? So see, don't, don't come down on him like he just wants two of them, right? He, he wants to know he's in this environment where people have made a relationship with God crazy with all the rules and regulations. And don't you ever get that way sometimes? 
you're thinking, man, can we just boil it down to pretty much the main thing? Do we have to make it all this, all these denominations and doctrines? Well, those things are very important. But sometimes we just want to go, man, what does it boil down to? And that's what he's asking Jesus. So Jesus gives him some. Not all of them, just some of them. We'll talk about what those are. And he says this, All these I've kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? It's a great question. This is the question I want you asking yourself this week. No matter where you are in your life, what do I still lack? This week, um, I was preparing the sermon and doing all my pastor stuff. I started thinking, man, I, you know, I don't feel as close to the Lord this week. Again, your relationship with God is not about feelings or whatever. But just like any relationship, you should feel something, <laughs> okay? And so I was like, man, Lord, what? And the Lord just very gently spoke to me. It's a little thing called prayer. You should check into it sometime, okay? And I realized my prayer life had, had fallen by the wayside. I've been so busy doing and planning and thinking and reading and all this kind of stuff. I'd forgotten to go to the Lord. And it was that same type of thing. I'm just, what I'm trying to point out is it doesn't have to be a guy just coming to Jesus. All week long, every week, we should be asking ourselves, what am I lacking? Lord, what am I missing out on? Is there a part of the kingdom of God that I, I'm not quite experiencing? For me this week, the Lord was going, yeah, you should pray more. And I'm like going, yeah, that's right. I've totally neglected it. I'm excited about this next week, about putting that into practice and going before the Lord more. But that's the conversation he has. And Jesus gives him six commands. Now, I want you to see this. It's very important, okay? So there's four commands. If you divide the commandments up into two sections, there's four that have to do with God. Have no other gods. uh, Don't have any idols. You you take the Lord's name in vain. vain, That's bad, okay? Uh, Remember the Sabbath. Those Those are kind of the God things. Now, Jesus gives him six. Now, maybe Jesus didn't know that there's actually ten commandments. For those, you know, when you go to seminary, you learn this kind of stuff. That there's not just six, there's actually ten. So that's why I I need to keep getting a paycheck to teach you guys this incredibly uh, great stuff. So what Jesus does earlier is he sums up the the laws about God. He says, this sums up the law and the prophets. Everything comes down to this statement. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's that's how you sum up the God part. That's four commandments summed up by one big statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, there's the other's statement. This is how we treat people on earth. The four four are how we relate to God. These These six are how we relate to people. Honor your parents. Don't murder anybody. This all isn't uh, rocket surgery here. No adultery, no stealing, no lying, no coveting. Okay? All of those and everything written in the law and the prophets is summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, So you've got all these commandments, all these things. Now Jesus tells the guy, you need to obey the commandments. And he says, which ones? And Jesus doesn't say, well, the Ten Commandments. He just gives them the ones that have to do with treating other people, right? Isn't that weird? Why would he do that? Why, why wouldn't he say, well, the Ten Commandments, dummy? What do you think? We're in Israel, okay? He picks the ones that have to do with others. And what's weird is he doesn't pick all of them. 
He picks everything except for one. Look what he picks here. I'll put them in the order that he picks them. Don't murder, okay? That's a, that's a good one to have in your tool belt there. Uh, no adultery, another one. We talked about that last week. A good, good one to have. Uh, no stealing, no lying, uh, honor your parents, and then the sum, love your neighbor as yourself. He picks all those things, but there's one he doesn't pick. And the guy says, oh, I've kept all those. See, Jesus is waiting for the Columbo. Oh, yeah, there's one more thing. I almost forgot. You know, I get so confused with all of the Ten Commandments. There's so many, and I, I get confused. I get them out of order. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was one. What was that one? Oh, yeah, coveting. You're rich, you're powerful, you're young. Why do you have all the stuff you have? What are you doing? And so he says to the guy, I- I've done all these things. Now, had the guy done all these things? No. We, Jesus already talked about that. It says don't commit adultery, but I say don't even lust after a woman or you've committed adultery. It says don't murder, but I say don't even get angry in your heart or you've murdered, right? So he hadn't done all these things. But Jesus gives him the benefit of the doubt. He gives him the easy ones. He says, there you go. Have you murdered anyone? No, I haven't. But he leaves out coveting. Now, for those of you who've been coming to church here for a long time, I'm sorry to do this to you, but we're going to go over it just one more time. There's two kingdoms. <laughs> okay? I stole this slide from way back when. And you know what? I have to say, my slides are getting better over the years. I'm just saying, I looked at some old ones. You've got to give me some props. They're getting better. <clears throat> this one was a nasty one, but we're going to keep going on it. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. Okay? And Jesus is constantly trying to get us out of the kingdom of earth and get our mind on heavenly things. And back in Matthew 6, when we first came up with this whole idea of kingdom of heaven and kingdom of earth, well, we didn't come up with it, but it says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Essentially, What Jesus says from then on is you can't serve God and yourself. He uses money in this example, but many, many times throughout Matthew and the other Gospels, he's talking about you. You can't serve yourself and serve God at the same time. This is what happens. You get a broken heart. There's a tension that happens. The world is pulling you one way and God's pulling you another way. You've felt it before. Have you not felt that before? Where you, you know you want something bad here, but it, then God's going, you don't need that. And you're going, oh, but I do need it. I want it, okay? And maybe you're really honest with God and you go, you know what? I know your way's better, but I'm just doing it my way for now and I'll come back later, okay? We've all felt that tension. This is where that guy is. He's going, man, I've done this stuff. I I got it, all my money. I got everything, but I'm missing something. What is it? And Jesus goes to the cost. That's your second point on your outline there, the cost. And he says, oh yeah, one more thing. One more thing. If you could just sell your possessions and give them to the poor and come follow me, that'd 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 be perfect. And that's his Columbo moment when the guy goes, Oh, he got me. Look at, what he, but look at this in Mark chapter 10, because if we miss this, we're going to miss it all. And if we miss this about God's love for us, we're going to miss ha- making these decisions in our lives. Mark 10, 1. 
This is what it says in Mark 10, 21, this exact same story. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. Have you ever been around kids, either your nephew or your niece or your own kids, or maybe you're a teacher or whatever, and you want so much for them, and they're not making the right decisions. And you're like, if you only knew what I knew, and you feel that love in your heart, and you're just like, and part of you wants to smack them, and the other part wants to hug them, and you're just like, oh, if I could just get it through your thick head, right? You ever, okay, I'm the only one, okay. <laughs> okay, so the smacking part, I was just going, that might have been a little over the top. Okay, no, I'm kidding around. All right, this is what happens. Jesus felt the love for him and said, man, just this one thing you lack, just one thing, your heart. I don't have your heart. It's not about possessions, guys. It's about whatever's holding you down in this kingdom to stop you from fully going after this kingdom. See, for this guy, it was possessions. One thing you lack, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and then come follow me. That's the cost. That's the cost of discipleship. That's the cost of when we ask ourselves those questions. Man, is there more? Is there a God? Is there life after death? Shouldn't I feel better? What if, how come I can't deal with my uh, situation better? Why is there no peace in my life? Any of those questions can be answered in how much of your heart is still down here? And what is it that, God, that, you're, that you're holding on to that God wants you to let go? That's the cost. And Jesus has been saying it <clears throat> all throughout Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust and thieves can break in and destroy, uh, steal, right? But store up treasures in heaven. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In Matthew chapter uh, 16, it says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, this life here, you're going to lose it. It's not going to work. It's not the way you were designed. But whoever loses his life for me will find this kingdom. What good will it be if you gain this whole pile down here? And you don't ever experience a relationship with God. Jesus is asking a rhetorical question. What good is it? It's no good. It's the answer. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? (laughs) And this is not just salvation, although it is salvation. Because God cares about your soul and where that soul spends eternity. But it also has to do with those who've given their lives over to Christ and we've gotten to this dead-end stop sign and we're saying, man, I don't, what's going on? I'm just stuck. Most likely, there will be something that God wants you to let go of. Most of the time. Maybe it's bitterness. Bitterness, man, can just stop you in your track spiritually. Unforgiveness, man, it can get you. Maybe it's a relationship and God's going, man, I'm not, and you know, you're in a bad relationship and the Lord's telling you, get rid of it now, get rid of it now. And you're going, oh Lord, bless it. Change him, Lord. (laughs) Change her, just change her heart. Make her a believer. And the Lord's going, drop her like a hot potato. I'm not blessing it. I bless obedience. Get rid of it. Stop it. Don't do that anymore. See what I mean? That's the cost. Because see, here's the thing, guys. 
We, on this section of Scripture, because <clears throat> I've read it a thousand times, I've heard a million commentaries on it, everyone focuses on this guy having to give up all that he has, right? Because none of us want to do that. If I told you right now, guys, I saw it in Scripture, if you want to have a relationship with God, you have to give me all your money. You have to just put it right here for the church to use. Well, obviously it's not Scripture, so it doesn't work, but just expand your mind a little bit. That'd be a tough one, right? But see, that's not the point of what Jesus is saying. The crux of what Jesus is saying in the cost, the money's nothing. The relationship's nothing. It's in this statement right at the very end of what he says, then come follow me. That's the key. That's the key that answers all of those questions about how do I get eternal life? How do I find peace? How do I deal with this bitterness? This, they hurt me. How do I forgive? How do I do this? Come follow Jesus. Follow in his footsteps. Do what he did. Obey what he says. Have a relationship with the Father that he had. Pray like he prayed. Give like he gave. That's the key. The money that's just an act of obedience. The relation, getting rid of the relationship, that's just obedience. It's the following Jesus day after day, decision after decision, little thing after little thing. That's the cost. It'd be nice to write a check for 20,000 bucks and be done with it, wouldn't it? You say, well, 20,000 bucks. But I mean, think, then you just live life the way you want. Who really cares? That could be fun. That's not what he's asking you to do. He's saying, come, follow me. I want a relationship. I want, I want you to live the kind of life that, 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 uh, uh, that the disciples are living. That foxes have holes and birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Come on, let's go. What? I got a lot of money. I can't give up that. That's the cost. So how do we do that? Number three, the confidence. This was so wonderful. You say, boy, that's really hard. Give up this relationship that I know the Lord's telling me to give up. Get, drop this bitterness that actually keeps me warm at night. I, you know, like, wh- wh- how am I going to stop this? this? This thing, get rid of my computer, stop using Facebook. What, whatever it is that the Lord's saying, look, here's the next thing, right? How do we do that? This is the most beautiful verse of the whole thing. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. <laughs> okay, what? You're asking me to do something impossible? Yes. Because what happens? His strength is perfected in our weakness. When we say, I can't do that, God says, you can do it with my help. That's the beauty of relationship with God. He asks you to do something. You know, I, there's a statement that says, God will never ask you to do anything you can't do. It's a totally untrue statement. God will never ask you to do something that he can't do. He'll help you get through it. You you can't do it. It's by grace that we're saved. It's by grace that we move forward in our relationship with God. All things are possible. See, this is what happened with... with, um, Jesus told a story about this guy who sowed some seeds and some died and some... You know, have you ever planted a garden and... You know, some of the seeds work and some of them don't. You know, some, we have a garden and it's the gophers that killed all our garden. And they weren't in the story, but I swear if I see one, I'm going to stab it. Okay, because uh, it killed all my stuff. 
Well, he tells a story about these seeds and they get growing up and the birds get them, the gophers get them and all that kind of stuff. And then some grow up to be really strong. And what he says about one is this. And this is the whole point of this, of this part of the story. Listen, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, all this stuff that's going on in the news and at home and in your past, and all this kind of stuff, all that stuff, it's choking you. And you're unfruitful. And the Lord wants you to let it go. That's what come follow me means. And you can't do it on your own. You've got to do it with him. You've got to press into him. And so we go, like I learned this week, man, Lord, I need to spend more time in prayer, having you guide and direct me. Maybe it's spending more time in his word. But it comes down to this. The confidence that we have in God is that we have nothing to offer. We come to him poor in spirit, it says. Let me show you where that's found. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, he says to the disciples, it's impossible for rich people to get saved. (laughs) That's kind of a brutal statement. Because what they had learned in their culture, all the Pharisees were making tons of money. They had set up little laws so that they only had to give so much so that the richer they became, the more blessed they were. Hello? Do we still preach that? Sometimes. I don't come down on other preachers. I never name anybody from... But the whole health and wealth thing that you're going to become a Christian and get rich and God wants you to be rich is just the biggest crock of garbage you could ever possibly have. It's nowhere in Scripture. As a matter of fact, the verse they use, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. That verse is used all the time in the health and wealth thing. And in what context is it in Scripture? A guy has to give everything he has away and become poor. That's the context. Isn't that a bummer? (laughs) Right? All things are possible. The poor in spirit. Remember we talked about this months ago. The beggars back then, the poor, the truly poor, would not even look up at them. They'd be on their knees. They would not look up and they'd just hold their hand out like this. And this is how God wants us to come to him. And this is why it's hard to do it when you're rich. Right? I've had times in my life where I've made lots of money. I've had times in my life where I've made little money. When I make lots of money, I'm not really trusting in God that much, to be quite honest. Why? Because, well, I don't know. What else do I really need? I got everything all covered. I got all my bases covered. That's not how the Lord wants me. Does he want me to sell everything I have and give it to the poor? Most likely not. I haven't met anybody that the Lord required that of them, but maybe. Whatever it takes to be poor in spirit, And you might have something else. It might be your education. It might be your new car. It might be your ability to, you know, add numbers up very quickly. I don't know. Whatever it is that you're resting on. Well, I can always fall back on this. That's the thing the Lord wants removed. That's the thing the Lord wants you to realize. That's worth nothing. Because I want you to remove it and then see I'll take care of everything. He says, imagine this. Get rid of all your stuff. 
Everything that you'd normally use to feel comfortable, to, to feel like, oh, good, maybe you're in a relationship right now where you feel loved and all that. And he says, no, I want that gone. I'm going to show you what it's like to be truly loved. With God, all things are possible. See, you can't come to God on your terms. I can't come to God on my terms. Okay, Lord, I want my retirement set up and I want the kids' college set up and then I'll follow you forever. <laughs> then, I'll, then, I'll, then everything from there I don't care about. I just, I just want those two things. Or, Lord, I, I, I want to stay in this relationship and I want to do this, but, but I want you to bless me. It's all on God's terms. This is what I love about the story of Moses. Back in Exodus chapter 3, um, oh, what do you know? I turned right to it. It's almost like I had it marked. Uh, back in Exodus chapter 3, you guys all know the story of the burning bush, right? So Moses, it's an old story, and Moses gets kicked out of Egypt, and he's tending sheep, and then God decides he's going to save Israel from the Egyptians. So he, he lights a bush on fire, and it doesn't burn, and Moses gets all tripped out by that, and uh, he start, God starts talking to Moses. Now look at Mo, look how Moses sees this whole thing, and look how God sees it. Moses comes to God on Moses's terms. In chapter uh, chapter three, verse um, eleven, it says, "Moses said to God, Who am I? <laughs> like, how am I supposed to do this?' Well, see his see his perspective. It's all about himself, and this was the rich young ruler's perspective." Oh man, if I'm dead, if I sell all my stuff, what am I going to do? Look at God's perspective. I will be with you. That's what he says to Moses. Moses, down in verse 13, says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of uh, your fathers has sent me to you. What if, they don't, what if they're not going to listen to me? Look at God's perspective. I am who I am. That's his perspective. Our perspective is always on ourselves. God's perspective is always on him. And let me tell you something. In my life, I want more of God's perspective than I do my own. Then you go down to uh, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 10. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I don't know how to talk. I can't be used like that. That makes me scared. The Lord said, who gave man his mouth? (laughs) Like, I'll decide if you can speak or not. Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? See, this is the confidence we have as we put those things aside and we say no more. We have confidence that God will supply all our needs according to his riches, according to his mercy. We have this confidence. Then Moses says, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it not me don't put this bur- don't make me do it <laughs> i love this next verse then the lord's anger burned <laughs> like okay now we've had enough now it's time you got to make a decision right and then there's one other funny verse that i love uh he says down at the end he's talking about aaron speaking for moses this is just bonus stuff right now that i'm talking about it has nothing to do with it. he says he'll speak for, uh, to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. And then he says this, uh, but take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. <laughs> like, hey, don't forget your, your, your miracle staff. That's really cool. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Like, he'll speak for you, but don't forget your magic stick because that's going to be really cool later. Uh, anyway, I just thought that was cool. 
Uh, but I digress. But that's the thing, is that the, Moses' confidence was all in himself. And he would say, man, if, if, I, if I can't do this, and God's confidence is in God. And he says, ah. Oh. Here's the last thing, the comfort. The comfort. It is worth it all. It's worth it all. I don't know what you're holding back. And maybe, maybe you're not holding back anything. Maybe I'm the only one who, you know, maybe this was just for me. But I don't know what you're holding back. But if you give it up, it's worth it. It's totally, totally worth it. You, you can't... Paul says, you know, the stuff I'm going through on this world can't even be described, it can't even be compared to, to, to this world. It's just, it can't. He says that. He also says, this is all just rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. See, the comfort Jesus says, and this is why I was saying, I don't know where you are in your thing. Do you, are you just having a conversation with God right now going, man, what do I do for eternal life? How do I do this? Or are you all the way to where the disciples go, hey, Jesus, uh, we've given up everything. That's what they say. Matthew 19. He says, uh, Peter answered him, we've left everything to follow you. And they had. Matthew left a really great tax gathering gig. Uh, he was making some serious cash. Peter left his fishing net. The family business had been in there for generations, at least him and his dad. We don't know how far it went back. We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus says, oh, it's going to totally be worth it. What you've given up is nothing compared to what I got for you. And here's what he says. And see, this is what I love about it. He doesn't just make it about money. Look at the things he says. And everyone who has left houses or brothers, so security or relationships, sisters or father or mother or children or fields, source of income, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. See, that's the comfort of it. Jesus says, oh man, because you know, imagine, it says that he existed in the form of God and did not regard equality with God something to hold on to, but he humbled himself and came down to earth. So he knows, he's got that eternal, pers- like, oh my gosh, if I could tell you, because he said gosh, because he doesn't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, he, he, he says, if you could just know what I know. I mean, you give up a field? Oh, what do you see? Uh, scriptures say that we, we receive riches not only in this life, and they're not financial riches. We, we receive a, this richness with God not only in this life, but also in the life to come. And Jesus had both that perspective. A life with me is awesome. 